my podcast started in the summer, which was lovely. Like I said, it was a bit of a lifeline. It gave me some, it gave me purpose. It gave me focus. And also to, to speak to like-minded people about what they're going through and also talk about positive things. You're so personal with everybody. It's really great. Thanks very much. I'm glad I came today. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. Quincy. Kevin. It's time. It's time for everyone in the audience to cry. Because that doo-doo-doo-doo is going to start playing. Yeah, last episode. We're here. We did it. We talked to a hundred alphabas about this show that we love. Honestly, as we come to the end of this kind of framework and narrative that we have spun, I think it's like really crazy to look back and be like, wow, we really did the thing. I texted you this morning. I was looking at... um, Oh my God, yeah, I didn't respond. Sorry. We'll talk about that later. Um, But I was looking at this Google Doc we have that has all of our guests written out uh, in a list. And I was like, who the fuck do we think we are? Really and truly. And it's like kind of... I think when we were first starting this, we were putting down all these names and I'm like, yeah, it's good to dream big. But I think in the back of my mind, I was like, this isn't going to actually like come to fruition. We've said this a hundred times on here, but it's this whole experience has truly exceeded any expectation that I had. And I think especially because we set out to just do this, to have something fun to do and like something a little escapist to do. Yeah. And it sounds so cliche and like to say, but it's like, the listeners and like just seeing what you guys have to say about every episode we release and interacting with you guys, I think has been really fun and made this whole experience um, so much more enjoyable. So thank you to you all for listening. We're talking like this is it, but like we're not yeah. going away anytime soon. This but... is by no means it. It's just this is it for that initial, I think, framework and um, yeah. timeline that we established when we started all of this. Yeah, this is the big check mark. All the, all the like sticky emotional stuff out of the way. <laughs> Today, we have a very, very exciting guest. How many mm-hmm. times are we going to say we have an exciting guest? Every, Every guest time, because is- it's true. It is true. One, once more for the road, say it. We have an exciting <laughs> guest today. <laughs> um, buckle up for this resume rundown. Ooh. So this actress made her stage debut. As the Eliza understudy in the West End. Yeah, that's right, West End. You guys have been mm-hmm. asking for a West End alphabet. You're getting one. In the West End production of My Fair Lady, she then went on to play Meat in the 2002 West End production of We Will Rock You. Yes, originated. She toured the UK as Ellen in Miss Saigon, then went into the West End production of Les Miserables as Fontaine. I love saying that. <laughs> in 2006, stood by for Mother Alphaba Adina Menzel in the West End production of Wicked. Took over from Adina in 2007, making her the first Brit to play the role of Alphaba full-time. Then she went to Broadway with Wicked. Then she came back to the West End production of Wicked. Then... <laughs> Guys, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. She did the Royal Albert Hall concert production of Chess. Which she did while she was doing Wicked, right? I think she was still like in performances of that. Oh, I But I could that. be wrong. 
2010, West End production of Oliver as Nancy. Mm-hmm. 2014, went back to Wicked as an emergency replacement. Our guest today saved the day. Yeah, our, oh yeah, our guest today saved the day, coming back in 2014 to take over as Alphaba. Which, fun fact, Emma Hatton had to cover like two weeks in between. I was a high school student on a class trip in London because we had just performed, I just performed um, Anthony and Sweeney Todd at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And then we went to London and all of my classmates went to go see Les Mis. And I told my director, I was like, no, wait, I'm not going to see Les Mis. I'm actually like going to see Wicked. I will go alone, but like, I'm not going to do Les Mis. I'll buy my own ticket and everything. And they were like, you can't go alone. So he said, if I could get a group of five people to go with me, then I could go. And I convinced, I convinced five people to come with me, but it was during that period between via mine and Carrie Ellis and I got Emma Hatton who was yes. fantastic well the guest is Carrie Ellis oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes we're talking to Carrie Ellis today yes and not to not to exclude it because we love a Grisabella um in 2015 Carrie Ellis took over for Nicole Scherzinger in the West End production of Cats yes I feel Which, like we just spent one hour reading out for resume. I know. She's going to be joining us in like two seconds. <laughs> um, so Quincy, I know that you love that recording of Chess. I love that recording of Chess. And yeah. you love Chess, right? I love Chess too. Yeah. I, no matter who is singing it, I'm into it. Okay, Kevin, Miss Ellis is going to be here so soon. Do we have time to do a stuck on SJB? Do I have time to do a stuck on SJB? Yes. There is this video on YouTube and she sings Children Will Listen from Into the Woods. Mm. It's like by no means like the mo- like the flashiest video of her ever. But I love Into the Woods. I think Next to Wicked, Into the Woods is my favorite musical. So oh, I, I love, love that. that. I would love Stephanie J. Block as the witch. I'm more of a baker's wife for SJB. Sebastian and her as the baker and the baker's wife together would be so good. Anyways, so the song sounds so easy in Stephanie's voice. And what I love is that I love any like concert uh, performance of this song because in the show, in the context of Into the Woods, you don't get that in the show. Like you never get a witch who gets to be like, children will listen. Like it's it's never going to happen. Yeah. Also, Stephanie J. Block's soprano on that last flip of children will listen uh, is ridiculous i am like newly kind of like taking a deep dive into her soprano because i think it's so lovely the, there's another stuck on sjb that i almost did for you think today of me? the think of me yes that, yeah that's good think of me which funny my friend chad who's probably listening right now, Mm -hmm. um, recorded, like that's his video on YouTube. Um, But yeah, so that's my my stuck on SJB. Children will listen just as the children are listening to this podcast. I got to look at that video. I don't think I've seen it or I haven't seen it in a while. It's not fresh in my noggin. I'm texting it to you. Thank you. As we speak. 
what's nice about podcasts is it's a friendly, it feels like a very friendly space. People just having a chat. And I really enjoy that. And I, when I listen to podcasts, that's what I love. You feel like the third person in the room or the fourth person in the room of people just having yeah. a chat. And it's what we need right now because nobody can get together. So we need to be close and, and, and feel like we can interact. Yeah, definitely. Um, we start every conversation with, when did you first discover Wicked as an entity, like as a show, not necessarily as I was an actress going in for this part? Yeah, so I wasn't, I'm a bit behind with those kind of things. I'm not the typical girl that knows whatever show's coming out, knows all the songs. I'm not that, I'm not that girl. <laughs> um, and I was doing, I was doing Miss Saigon at the time, I remember vividly. And one of the other actors in the show said to me, oh my God, you know, you should be in Wicked. And I was like, well, didn't know about it. I know in Eve's like, oh, it's opened on Broadway. It's amazing. You know, you'd be fantastic. So that was kind of it. I didn't really think about it. And then he kept singing the songs to me, like backstage. And like, it was, he was flying past me in the corridor. He would just like sing a bit of popular or sing a bit of <laughs> gravity. And I was like, what is this show all about? So I, this is how long ago it was. I bought the album. And that was kind of it. That I left it there. I didn't. I probably listened through the album maybe once or twice and left it. And then I heard it was coming to London, and literally in within a few weeks, I got called up for an audition. And then I thought, oh, I really need to get myself my head around this music now. And was there buzz around it when it was coming to London as this like Broadway juggernaut? There was, but not in the same way as it was on Broadway. It, there was, but okay. I would say it was from more you know musical theatre. Uh, supporters like proper musical theatre geeks kind of thing yeah. you know we didn't really know about it we knew it was a spin-off from the Wizard of Oz that's all we knew and then obviously the audition started to happen and I think when that was starting to happen word was getting out a little bit more I started to learn a bit of the music and started to go in for these auditions and start having to sing like Defying Gravity two or three times in an audition and I was like this why are they making me do it so many <laughs> times you know I don't get it I'm not really doing anything different um, but obviously now I know because of from doing the show how why they made me do it three times. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that that was kind of it really. My introduction was it wasn't like that show I grew up listening to or like Les Mis was that I I wanted to be in when I you know that show I want to be in when I grow up. It wasn't that at all. It was something new and and I think that was what the beauty of it was that I didn't know about it. And then it was this new big show that was coming over and then I got to discover it. In, I got to discover it in the rehearsal room, really. I didn't even see it. I didn't go to Broadway and see it. I didn't, you know, I was learning from Joe Mantello in the room. Yeah. And that was exciting. That was really exciting. Yeah, so can you talk to us about the audition process and then getting to originate in the West End production? When you initially went in, did you know that it was for standby? Um, when I went in for the auditions, no, I didn't. Um, I mean, I was doing, what was I doing? Les Mis, I think, at the time. So I was quite happy, you know. <laughs> but ironically, just before it, I auditioned for Evita. That was coming to London, and I really wanted yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I had about four or five auditions for it, and then I didn't hear anything, and I was gutted. But then Wicked came along, and I started going for Wicked, so it took my attention away, but I wasn't that fussed about it. It wasn't like suddenly, oh, I have to do this job. It was like, oh, okay, well, this is opportunity great let's go along yeah so yeah I had about seven auditions and wow. then I 
I remember getting the call. I was between shows in Les Mis and I was walking down Compton Street with my pin curls in my hair between matinee <laughs> and evening and I remember getting the call. I don't remember on a lot of shows, but that one I do. At that yeah. point, I didn't know Edina was coming. I found out maybe two or three weeks after that. So that call was Alphaba, your opening as Alphaba in the West End production? Yeah, and then three about two or three weeks later, I got a call saying, you're still going to open, but you're <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to open first. I was like, well, maybe that, that doesn't mean I'm opening the show. <laughs> yeah. What were your feelings about that? Well, for a kind of split second, I was like, oh, this is annoying because... You know, you don't get the opportunity to create as such. You know, you don't get... However, the original girl... And I didn't really know much about Adina at this point. I was going to say, was she like a big thing on the West End at that time? No. Okay. I mean, people knew that she'd done Rent and she had... We kind of knew who she was, but it was she wasn't like a superstar over here. So I was like, well, that, you know, fair play. Because if I'd have been offered the opportunity to go and open We'll Rock You on Broadway, of course <laughs> I would have done it. You know, she created it. Great. And she's coming for three months... And you'll open three months later. And in the meantime, you'll be an offstage standby. You probably won't go on. And <laughs> that was that. And, and I was kind of okay with that. I mean, the good thing that did come from it was the fact that Adina did come over for those three months allowed me to be her exchange to then go back to do the Broadway. Yeah, which was great. So actually, in the bigger picture, it was it was brilliant. And was that exchange something that was discussed in the very beginning? Or I have to imagine that came about later? A lot later. I mean, I'd been okay. doing the A show maybe four or five months. And I remember Joe Mantello going, do you want to come and do it on Broadway? I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Let me think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it all happened quite quickly. Before I knew it, I was kind of finishing on the Saturday in, in London and I was literally on a plane on the, on the Sunday and in rehearsals for a week on the Monday, straight into the show, like four wow. days into the show. It was chaos. It was mental. Do you feel like that momentum kind of helped you? you? Like, was it a kind of thing where you're like, okay, I don't have time to be overwhelmed by this or intimidated because I just have to like get on the plane, go to rehearsal, go to the costume fitting and get into the show? Yes and no. I mean, I think what, what I found difficult was actually the consistency of doing the show eight times a week I'd never sung anything quite like that before I don't think it should be an eight show a week I think it should be a six you know it's almost like a trophy that they don't they don't want to change and I think it's a big shame because they'd get better shows from people for it so yeah um what I found difficult was just the repetitiveness of, of singing it and doing it eight times a week so I went through ups and downs with it you know I went through periods of time where I could smash it out for three months and then for two months I could do like four or five six shows and then I'd go back to my three months just banging it out you know it was it was a mentally tough but when you're on yeah. it and you're doing it it's like no other show it's just it's magical it really is so can we backtrack a little and can you talk about what it was like opening the West End production and what that rehearsal process was like, especially being that they brought in Adina. Were you watching her in rehearsal? Was there something magic about like, oh, I'm getting to watch the original girl do her thing and rehearse this show? Yes and no. I mean, I wasn't around massively when she was in the room because we would be taken off. Like, so myself and Annalyn Beachy, who was um, the Glinda standby, we would be off rehearsing in other rooms um, we would watch, of course we would watch. Um, and it was great to watch Joe direct and do his thing and be part of listening to all of that information, which was which was great. And also we did get chances when 
say Adina was off for a costume fitting or going off to do a vocal or whatever, I would step in and, and do bits and pieces, which was great. It was a bit stop-starty because I'd not really done that before of that level. So mm-hmm. for me, it was almost a bit like being... Like waiting, you know, a bit kind of like I felt like I was just waiting to yeah. do my job. But it was great. I mean, there was a buzz with her being here and she was great. And we got on and she was lovely and she was brilliant at the job. And it was great to to watch her do that, which was which was fine. But then I don't like to be too influenced by who who I'm going to take over. Mm-hmm. And especially because this had been the first time you covered since My Fair Lady, right? At that point? Yeah, and My Fair Lady, I was a swing. I was a swing and I was a cover. So I was kind of on all the time. I was doing all those rehearsals and I was on. I didn't really go off the stage. And then obviously when I got on for Eliza, that that was a whole other level. But there were very different things because... My Fair Lady was my was my first West End job, and it, and I wasn't employed to take over. I was never employed to be the role. Whereas for <laughs> Wicked, I was employed to do the role, and then to stand by was just a bit like, oh, this is I I don't know. I'd have almost preferred to wait three months and then just come in. Yeah, especially because at that point you had been working and booking principal roles. Yeah, right. Did I see that they did a special reopening for you when you took over full time? Yeah, they did. I mean, it was it was mental. They did this big kind of press night and massive party and I mean it was crazy but by that time I'd already been on a couple of times because obviously you know Dina was there for three months she's gonna go off so I'd been on a few times but then that was good it gave me a bit of a warm-up it gave me also a bit of a a preview if you like before the press came in so that was that was good Mm -hmm. yeah so something that Kevin and I wanted to talk about is the accent situation with Wicked (laughs) I like it it's a situation (laughs) just because I think especially when you were going to Broadway that was one of the first times that they had done like an international switcheroo yeah first time so first let's talk about how was the, okay, you're going to need to do an American accent presented to you? And then let's talk about, did you do an accent when you were standing by for Adina or were you doing a British accent on the West End as a standby? In London, I was British because everybody everybody else in the cast was British. When I went to Broadway, I didn't know that I was going to have to do an American accent until literally I got into rehearsals because... She obviously came and did her American accent. So I was like, well, great. Well, surely I'm going to... That's the whole point. <laughs> and then I get to rehearsals and they looked at me and they kind of just were like, um, I thought you were going to do it in American accent. I was like, okay. Stop it. Like, well, that's fine. That's fine. That's no problem. But I, well, I didn't think I was going to have to do that. I thought that... And they were like, well, no, it's 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 wicked on Broadway. It's got to be American. You should be like, that's not my understanding. <laughs> To be fair, it it wasn't too much of a shift. It was okay. What was tricky was I got into this kind of routine of of the accent and that was great. And actually, in some aspects, it's a lot easier to sing in in American. I mean, it's written for an American. So it's like how you sing the vowels are easier and they're like a wider, easier twang if you're in an American accent. So if we're doing them in English, they're, they're, they're a little bit harder to... To, to make sound English, if that sound if that's any good, like when we say things like, mm-hmm. well, the, the the Glinda has to kind of say popular, she can't go popular, she has to go popular. Uh, so silly things like that, and it sits in popular, you know, it sits better. Yeah. And things like defying gravity, we have to go defying gravity. So that's all fine. But when I came back, 
I had this hybrid because, of course, the English lot wanted me to get rid of the American accent. Again. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I was all over the shop. I was kind of like, I was this hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. But, you know, I quite enjoy a challenge. I quite like being, it makes me buzz. Did you have an American accent down prior to doing Wicked on Broadway? Well, I thought so, but... <laughs> 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 you know, Lisa, who was amazing, she was obviously our resident and the associate director. She's fantastic. She would occasionally come in and give me a few little notes on a few vowels and stuff. But again, I think it's easier when you're surrounded by an American cast to do an accent. It's it's If I was going to be the only person there, I think that would be harder. That's interesting. I love that. <laughs> so there's an mm. infamous audio of your lift accident in Defying Gravity. <laughs> Yes. And Carrie, let me say, it sounds terrifying. Like, it sounds so serious. It does. It sounds really bad. I mean, it sounds a lot worse than it was, I think. I was going to say, can you walk us through what actually happened? Because I think we're all going off of this audio where it's like, oh my God, she sounds scared for her life. Well, I I mean, I... I mean, it was a real reaction. I'm actually really quite a laid-back, down-to-earth person. I'm not dramatic. I'm not kind of hyper. And I'm also really physically confident, like as in, I'm not frightened of heights. I'm not frightened to be, you know, I wasn't frightened on the lift. I wasn't, those things don't worry me. Mm -hmm. But this one night, you're about to sing the the big bit of the song and you, and I've done it a million times. And you run around and you, you get in the the arm you clip yourself in but you can't get out of the arm so once you're in you're in and it moves forward and then it moves up and then it moves like out again it started to move forward and then it almost felt like it tipped the wrong way it felt like it was kind of pushing me into the stage like forward forward so I was kind of and you can't get out of it because you're stood on a little platform right so I'm I'm trying to move and I'm trying to get out of it I'm going I can't move I can't move I can't move and nothing's happening. And then I'm like, I'm panicking because all I'm just getting pushed into the stage. So I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm not going to fight this mechanical art. Yeah. So I'm just like, no, I can't no. get out, I can't get out. And no one can hear you. And, and then obviously you're on mic. So then I kind of had to shout something. So they then stopped the show, which was mortifying. <laughs> and somebody releases you from the contraption and, and, you know, we could come out. But I mean, it just sounded a lot worse because obviously my mic was up. I mean, there's also yeah. another yeah. one that's quite, I mean, I don't know if you found it. But I, there's one about me. I come off and I'm shouting about something. I couldn't even tell you what it was. But somebody has put like subtitles on it to say something about like I wanted to so- throw pins at somebody in the front row, which makes me howl because I must have come <sighs> off going something, 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 pin, pin, pin. Somebody <laughs> si- like subtitled it saying about me wanting to throw pins at someone in the front row. And I, I mean, it's just the funniest thing. I'm glad to know that it's not as chaotic as it sounds you hear about lots of people in shows with automation that do hurt themselves and that does flash through your mind that oh god please don't (laughs) make me break my legs you know because you feel so comfortable and we and we work in a very dangerous place and we do get over familiar and over comfortable and it's those moments that kind of bring it back you remember and even to have something, an accident like that happen in front of a live audience, I feel like adds another layer the <laughs> to the trauma. <laughs> On the note of defying gravity, let's talk about your look to the Western sky. <laughs> <laughs> because your growl on look so I took a deep dive because I was like when did this growl start and it feels like it started when you were standing by it did start then this is really funny because I guess prior to Wicked I wasn't really aware of like the obsession with different and for me I used to do this thing in in We Will Rock You in No One But You and it, it kind of had this rasp to it it had this kind of 
rocky growl and I don't even know who named it the growl I couldn't even tell you and it used to be on there's a face at the window and I'd growl living my best Bonnie Tyler life you know it was yes. rasping and riff, you know I'm not a riffer so for me yeah. it's about the rock element and I don't really know where it came from on Wicked the look to the western sky thing I don't know where it came from it was an emotional thing it just laid emphasis for me and it gave power to the you know so if you care to find me look to the west bloody western sky you know you'll find me there and then you know you start to read things you start to see social media you start to see people going put the growl in put the growl in I'm like I don't know what you're talking about what are you talking about the growl I don't really look at what I do as such so when people point it out to you it's it's funny it's a funny thing well I think it's interesting because you know Wicked has turned into this whole thing now where it's like oh what are these choices what are these riffs that the Alphabuzz are doing but at the time you were doing it like you were going off of Adina you know essentially and it's like Adina wasn't doing that so it's almost more impressive to be making vocal choices in the early days well also I had to bring myself to it you know I had to bring my how was my Alphabuzz true to me and me my Alphabuzz was was a bit rocky a bit raw and for me that's how it spoke so that was just it that's all it was and then I think a lot of the riffs came later from other people especially in the U- in London you know the riff kind of craziness came later yeah so you went to Broadway then you came back to the West End and finished that contract I think in 2009 mm. and then returned five years later in 2014 yes <laughs> I did yeah what was the initial reaction when you got that call my initial reaction was no because I thought I don't think I can do it again I don't I'm, I'm five years older I've had a baby mm-hmm. I've got married I have a six-month-year-old I'm not sleeping I'm not and and also <laughs> it was so loaded because I'd had such an amazing time when I left the show I mean that I'll never forget that night. It was unbelievable. It's like being at a rock concert. The crowd, the energy, the performances. And it was so special. And I'd kind of tied up that time. You know, I'd done London, I'd done Broadway and had an amazing time. So for me to come in again, I just was like, oh, what if I can't do it? What if I don't have the same experience? What if I can't sing it like I used to sing it? You know, all those demons. But then Michael McCabe spoke to me, who's the producer in London, and was like, look, this is the situation. We've got Villamine, who's a phenomenal singer. I mean, she's she's a brilliant artist. She damaged her back, and she was going to have to come out of the show three or four months early and I think that they were so concerned about it being a negative thing that they wanted to put a positive spin on it and and that's like Michael came to me said look I want this to be a celebration I want Villamine to be able to go and rest and come back to the show when she can with no pressure Mm -hmm. and I want to make something of it you know let's let's make it a celebration as opposed to somebody's injured themselves and is going to have to take some time off a buzzy moment yeah and i said well i hope i can live up to your expectation and do it again but i did love it i mean i must admit i did love it i was gonna say so then that's added pressure even to you're returning this role after you've done it and now they're like you are the excitement (laughs) yeah bring all of that please but to be fair it was pretty amazing i mean it just sold out it just went mental those three months was just you know the box office was mental the reaction was great and I had a great time so I'm grateful to it Terry I cried when that was announced (laughs) so did I (laughs) I knew that I was going to London on a school trip and I was like I think the dates line up it didn't I got like I think the time in between you and Villamine but yeah I was so excited 
no, it was good. It it was good, and it, you know, Wicked has a very special place in my heart. I mean, I don't think I'd go back again if they called me. I'm far too old, but I think <laughs> you know, it was nice to have that glimpse of it again. I think. And was it like a walk in a park to do again, or? It was interesting because. I thought to myself, oh, I know it. I got this. You know, I did it for so long. I can just step into it. What was weird about it was I, I, I was kind of fine with the songs that I, like. you know, I've been singing Gravity because you do in concerts and that's fine. Yeah. The songs were kind of all right. I, I didn't have a clue about No Good Deed. I couldn't have told you that spell. I, but I didn't know any of the dialogue. It was so bizarre. And I almost had to sit down and learn it like I did the first time around. But once I kind of got myself around the dialogue, once I went into the rehearsal room, it was really strange because my body would just move in the right... Uh-huh. I mean, muscle memory, yes, is, is, is phenomenal, but it was so bizarre. It was like my body would just move without my brain and getting in gear to, to move that way. Yeah. It was so bizarre. That's fascinating. But it, once it did kind of click, it all just came flooding back. And it, it was like, you know, putting on an old pair of shoes and going, yeah, you feel a bit different, but I'm, I'm good. I know where we're going. We're all right. Yeah. We got this. <laughs> I can't imagine. That's, that's so cool. And I love what you were saying about how they, the, the flip to turn something that could be a sad or scary occasion into such an exciting moment of like Britain's mother alphabet returns. Like that is... It was cool. Yeah. So we want to talk to you about For Good, but before we do, Quincy and I play this little game with all of our guests uh, where we have a, a little bit of a theory that every alphabet or every performance of alphabet can be classified as either a The Wizard and I alphabet, a Defying Gravity alphabet, or a No Good Deed alphabet. Did you feel any way about any of those three? predominantly it would probably be No Good Deed Mm -hmm. because I used to enjoy singing that the most. There was no like tricky bit in it that would throw me off or there was no, I could just sing it and I just enjoyed singing it. And I liked the, you know, the show was a little bit like that. You know, it was an amazing, it was a real double-edged sword. You know, it was the most amazing Mm -hmm. job in the world, but the most, the toughest job by far I've ever done. So it kind of had, you know, this turmoil, which I liked about it. And the song has that. So I, Guess No Good Deed, I think. And vocally, No Good Deed was the easiest? Yeah, but I don't sing it now, ironically. It's a hard song out of context. It doesn't, and every and you, everyone wants you to sing Gravity, and that's fine, I'm okay with that. I don't mind singing it now, I'm not in the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you can rest. Yeah. Okay, so we've been working our way through Wicked, section by section, and a different actress has joined us for each part. You are the final actress in this whole narrative we're spinning. Yes. So to kind of get us into For Good, you know, this is one of the songs from the show that I think has kind of broached the mainstream in the sense where like even like non-theater people know it. People sing it at their school graduations. It's kind of permeated just general culture. Why do you think that is? Well, the message, I mean, the message of the song is all about friendship and you go through highs and lows and struggles and but your friendship still remains you know that bond that you make and it does speak outside the show it stands alone um it resonates and ironically because it's one of the more simple songs you know everybody goes for gravity or wizard and i or you know the big songs but for good is quite a simple song but it probably has the most powerful message mm-hmm. it's a song that i've sung lots since i've left and i love it and, and you can go anywhere around the world and sing it and people still respond to it i mean i was in japan a couple of years ago and they were all singing along i couldn't <sighs> believe it people know this song yeah. and it's it's testament to stephen Schwartz because you know he knows how to land a song i mean he's written a ton of musicals but this one i mean these songs just hit home with people they really do resonate and for good is 
exactly that. You know, people have played it at all all different places, their weddings, their funerals, their, you know, their all these special moments. And it's it's an incredibly powerful song. Yeah, and I think the simplicity that you're talking about is part of what makes it so um, versatile in how people use it in, in real life. Because it's, you know, if you're a teenager and you're listening to this song, it's all about like, oh, this is my best friend and we have this great relationship. But then as you get a little older, it's like you and you know what it's like to part ways with somebody, then like that adds another layer to it. And that comes from that simplicity that you're talking about. Yeah, it's a simple message. I mean, the song is actually quite complex, really. But the simplicity of the message, I think, is what it's what Wicked is all yeah. about, really. I mean, Wicked is is all about relationships, and that's and it it resonates with so many different people because it's kind of inclusive of everybody in every way. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so successful. And kind of on that same note, Kevin and I were talking about how this song, of all the songs in Wicked, this one feels like as an actress, if maybe you personally are going through something a little more emotional at that point, the song, I have to imagine, would hit differently in performance. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you didn't have to try very hard with this song, I think. You know, even on a day when you're buzzing and, and life is good and everything's great, you still run that marathon and you've still ended it with... A really close friend and looking at that person is always is always a moment um and I've again I've sung it in various different places with various different people and I did actually get to sing it with um with Kristen Chenoweth Mm -hmm. before I went back into London I think she was doing a tour and she came to um London and did the Albert Hall and it the timing couldn't have been more spot on because I was just about to announce that I was coming in exactly for that time when Villamine and her song and so I got up with Kristen and we sang that and then we kind of announced that I was going back into the show so again that was amazing to sing it with her and then to announce that I was coming back into the show so it has a lot of uh, meaning for me too. Does the chemistry you have with your Glinda partner affect the performance of the song at all? Oh massively yeah massively I think so I'm a very responsive actress I think you know some people can just do their thing regardless of who's around them but I'm very feeding off who's around me and that's why I love it when covers go on or swings go on or because it's always different you get a different energy and it brings something else new out in you and and that excites me a lot Mm -hmm. so yeah it does it massively changes and some people you will click with some people you won't you have Mm -hmm. to work it out in this show because you just have to get on with your you know your other because it's your there's just no choice I mean I was lucky because I've had great people and it's never really been a problem so yeah all of my glinders have been lovely um vocally does for good feel like kind of a cool down like if um if no good deed is that kind of last lap of the of the marathon is for good kind of like a okay let's relax I used to find for good really difficult really because I'm such a belter I'm not very good at kind of mixing and holding back it's like all or nothing for me so I would be so you know belted so much that I had no mix by the end of the show so for good all the all the kind of soft stuff was gone I I found it really difficult to then kind of mix that at the end and and I would find that really difficult and also the first time I, I went into the show I was a lot younger and I didn't know my voice as well as I know it now I just didn't know how to navigate around that bit. Um, That's interesting. So it would stress me because I knew we were done. 
I, it would stress me out because I was like, I've got no mix. All right, if I'm going to find this hard, I'd be all right at the beginning of the week, but towards the end of the week, it would be like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how did your relationship change? Because you have such a long history with Wicked. Did your relationship with the role and this song in particular change over time? Absolutely. I I think just my when I came back and I did it for that last time in 2014, I just had a much bigger perspective on the role and the show itself. I was more in control of myself and what was going on around me. I knew what it was. I knew what, I knew how to play that game. I knew where to save myself. The first time I was yeah. always kind of, you know, I, I, would, I was always finding my feet. I mean, even though I was doing it for two years, things were always changing. So I would always something would change and I wouldn't blow my voice out or I would, be, you know, get to the end and be like, why don't I have any voice today? I was really care, you know, it, it, it was a constant change constantly. But when I came back, I just think I was just more mature with it. I knew what was going on. So I think I, and I also had had five years of different things going on. You know, I'd come out of theatre a little bit. I'd done a lot more music. I'd done my own shows and touring. So I had a different outlook. Well, that's interesting what you say, because I kind of equivalent you and Shoshana Bean in the same kind of sphere. I feel like we've had like parallel lives on the other side of the pond. Exactly. Like you really both like yeah. you're the first replacements and you both are so respected in the theater community, but also kind of branched out and did your own solo recording artist thing and are very respected yeah. for that as well. I love her. She came on my, I think, season one of my podcast and we chatted and I said, I feel like we're kindred spirits. I feel like... <laughs> We've just, you know, been on the other side of the pond and one day we will come together and sing and it'll be great. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love her. I think she's great and I really respect what she does, you know. I think she's, again, she's really open-minded and she does theatre, but she does her own thing and she's great. She really is. And I think the two mix well. I think you bring certain aspects of, like, you know, your your music to your theatre and, and likewise your theatre to your music. I think it, it's a, they're good compliments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of your love for Shoshana, um, which we share in, I feel like we can't really talk about for good and this like sentiment of relationships and caring for one another without bringing up this seemingly sorority of former alphabas. So what is it like to be, first of all, welcomed into that? And then how is that something that you through the years have have kind of kept up and, you know, reached out to the new girls and, and things like that? Especially since you're the first British alphabet. Yeah, you know? you know what? It's really funny because absolutely there is that. There really is. And I think it's because of, of how hard it is and what comes with that role, what comes with that responsibility, the, the expectation, the weight, the, the fans, the social media. You know, there's so much that isn't just the show, you know, just getting through the show. And there is a lot of weight that comes with it. And I think when I was... When I was in London, it was just me because obviously Adina went home, so it was just me. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah, that's but interesting. When I went to America, when I flew into New York, and I was actually, I don't know if I'd opened or I was in rehearsals, but Julia Murney reached out to me, and I don't, I didn't really know her, and she <laughs> dropped me an email and said, you know, hey, I'm Julia, I'm just reaching out to say, I'm here, I know you're here on your own, I know what you're doing, and sent me this wonderful email. I went to see her in her show that she was doing that time and, and it it massively helped to have that just person reach out and go I'm here I've been through it I understand it's okay and if you want to shout and scream at me or whatever then please do you know we, it just offload on me and it was amazing it really was and yes I have done it then subsequently to people when I've come back from Broadway I've reached out to standbys that have 
have gone on from me at the time or yeah. or people that have taken over. I, I, I remember reaching out to Lexi Kadeem that took over from me and subsequently yeah. Tucker, Rachel Tucker, you know, Louise Dearman. We all speak to each I mean, we're all friends anyway, but I always say, you know, alphabets need like an AA meeting. Everybody's got their story <laughs> with it. It's funny when you come together with other alphabets, everybody does just click and chat and offload it is it's great they're all your peers they're people you know and love and it's mm-hmm. nice to get together and sh- and sing with them and and share the experience no carrie this has been so great oh it's been lovely to chat to you guys especially at the moment it's so nice to just talk theater and talk the arts when there's nothing else going on you know it is. So thank yes. you it's been lovely oh no thank you no, thank you so much for joining us uh where can people find you online carrie well, my website is, is kerryellis.com, but I have my own podcast called Keep Calm and Carry On, which I'm loving. And if you want to check that out, it's it's people like Shoshana B. And I've just actually spoke to Natalie Wise as well. Ooh, can't wait. Yeah. And social media. I'm on all that nonsense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Kevin, that was our final interview of this this chunk, this section of our journey. I was expecting to feel a little sad about it, but I just feel good. I feel like we did a good job th- today and and for the last couple months. I'm not sad because this isn't the end. <laughs> this is not the end. We got to stop talking like this. I know. You know what I, I'm glad we got to talk to her about? What? Is the accent. Uh... And she kind of knew. Debacle. <laughs> oh, she knew. As soon as he brought it up, she was like, aha, yes. <laughs> if the only person that you have to go off of accent-wise is, oh, Adina came to London and didn't do an accent, so I would assume that because I'm going to Broadway now, I also won't have to put on an accent. Like, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I, if I were in her shoes, I would not be practicing my American accent. And the fact that it was dropped on her in rehearsal, like no one was like, know, oh, by I the know. way, before she landed. My worst nightmare. <laughs> worst nightmare. Can you imagine if you showed up somewhere and they were like, oh, wait, you're doing this in a British accent, right? Yeah. I'd be like, uh, yeah, tomorrow. I'm not doing it now. But you know what I thought was interesting was when she was talking about how like certain phrases got easier to sing with the American accent. Which I think it says so much about like Americans and the way we speak and like the nasality that we that mm. we um, speak in. But it made me remember back in college, I did a production of chess, which is relevant because wow. Carrie Ellis is a chess legend. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a line in that show where the word in the lyric is advertisement. And we were rehearsing it and we were like, why does this sound so fucking weird? Like we couldn't get it right. And it was because the emphasis should have been advertisement and yeah. not advertisement. And so it, it was like something like that where I was like, oh yeah, like there are moments in the English language where like these two sides of the pond say things very differently. And I could imagine how that would like trip you up if you were uh, a British person trying to sing it in a British accent. Oh, you know what I thought was interesting was that she booked initially Principal Alphabet to open the West End production. Yeah. That would be like a, I think, difficult pill for anyone to swallow. And especially coming off of the uh, Evita loss that she told us about was like, so like if you lose that job and then it's like you think you get Alphabet, that's got to sting a little. 
But it was such, it was like a three month period. And then I think it's cute that she got a whole like kind of new opening when she took over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. This has nothing to do with Wicked, but it just, it made me think. Um, is right at the end there, uh, when we were saying goodbye, it just made me think we're coming up on a year of the shutdown. And I think that like, you know, with no reopening in sight, people are finding ways to stay creative and finding ways to connect with each other. It was like an offhanded comment, but it made me like a little misty because I was like, yeah, like we're we're doing it. Like we're still finding each other. We're still finding ways to like love this mm-hmm. and celebrate it, even yeah. if we're not doing it in a theater. Yeah. And I think I wonder if that's because it feels like Broadway of all the different facets of the entertainment industry. It feels like the Broadway industry has really kind of just been like left high and dry and like there was no oh we sort- have been yeah like I, it kind of feels like tv and, t- and movies have been able to like truck through this and kind of figure out a way yeah. um and whether that's a function of the people in power or a function of like the regular governmental regulations it just feels like broadway there was no effort for anything to be done and we were all just kind of like okay well we'll wait till we can all sit back in the theater again and then figure it out yeah. from there you know yeah so I think in some ways it's like forced people, like the community to like have to kind of do their own thing. Yeah, but I love to see it. It's very cool that everybody was not only able to like pivot like that, but that a year in people are still doing it. Yeah, energized. Oof, a year in. <laughs> <laughs> this is a horrible segue, but it is a genuine thought. I do associate the song For Good with Glinda, and I'm not sure why. That's interesting that you say that, because I actually think of it as an alphabet-heavy song because she has two sections. Because she does, I'm limited, and just like, you, you can do all I can do. Is that a section? Huh? That was kind of poppy. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Oh, you consider that a section, though? Well, it's, I mean, it's a section of the song. I'm not saying it's a whole verse, but it's like okay. she sings and then we get a little Glinda and then she sings again. So I always think of it as very alphabet heavy. Yeah, I don't know. I even like when I think of For Good, I picture the set design and that Glinda dress that she's wearing in the song. Sure. She does look beautiful. All this to say, I'm ready for a Glinda corner. <laughs> <gasps> oh my God, that was so slick. <laughs> Okay, so I set this up a little bit in the Defying Gravity episode with Julia Murney, um, where I talked about the fact that every time Alphabet and Glinda sing together in Act 1, Glinda's on the top harmony, Alphabet's on the bottom harmony, and then they only sing together once in all of Act 2, and that is on For Good. Mm. And so we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. You, If you're sitting in that audience, it's 2004, and you're like, I love it when Adina and Kristen sing together. When is it going to happen? Oh boy, is it going to happen? Get your tissues ready. Mm -hmm. But from a musical point of view, Quincy, so they sing their verse, they sing their verse, and then they sing that little verse together, the little bridge, and then, and none of it seems to matter, big breath, anymore, Elphaba on the top harmony, and Glinda, deep down into that yummy chest voice on the lower harmony. Who are you listening to during that section? I think I really, this is so corny, but I really think that I am like absorbing the experience at that moment. Oh, and she's so, mm, it is so good. And it's like, 
it's so musically satisfying, but then like on an emotional level, it's like so much of me is made of what I learned from you. And it's like, they are literally switching roles in their friendship. Uh, that last harmony that they sing together. Changed. I do believe I have been changed for the better. It's, it's so playful the way that they move around each other. Uh, and then, uh, like you said, I have been changed for good. It is so, uh, mm, mm. Is the Glinda doing that change for the better? Or is it alphabet? I yes. can't remember. That is Kristen Chenoweth singing in a tenor register. Uh, okay, okay. It's exquisite musical theater. I'm going to say I don't revisit for good often. You should. It's, I know. Especially if you don't revisit it often. I Go know. in and think about what I just said to you. For good is the one that I always am like, oh, when I see it live, and I'm because I like remember mm -hmm. that it's a thing, you know. Uh, thank you, Kevin. That was a fantastic final, Glinda Corner. That was it. Because we can keep doing stuck on SJB, but we can't keep doing Glinda's Corner. Should we answer our own Alpha Bowl question? Because we never have on the pod. Okay, sure. Of the big three, Alpha Bowl. I think if I was playing Alphaba, mm -hmm. I would be a no good deed Alphaba. Mm-hmm. Mm, really? Mm-hmm. I think you'd be a defying gravity Alphaba. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. What about you? What which Alphaba are you? I am absolutely I am a wizard and I Alphaba on the reg, who I said this on the post too, who would blow his voice out in that song and then have to call out mid-show. Because yeah. I'm not a sustain, I would not be a sustainable alphabet at all. No. <laughs> Me neither. I mean, I'd be too excited all, all to the you. Time. <laughs> okay, so what are the three Glinda songs? You don't know them? So it's No One Mourns the Wicked, Thank Goodness, and Popular. Of the three big Glinda songs, this is a kind of layered. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not layered at all. If I was playing Glinda, I would be a Thank Goodness Glinda. But I do think that my like natural energy as a person is Glinda after the Oz dust, picking fights with her friend, being goofy with popular. Um, Quincy, what Glinda or Gulinda <sighs> do you think you are? Having a hard time with this one. I figured you would, since you've <laughs> only listened to the songs once. <laughs> my first instinct is I would be a thank goodness Glinda. And on a good night, I could be a no one mourns the wicked Glinda. I think I, my go-to is thank goodness because it's an acting song, but it's a very obvious acting song. Like to me, the beats are very much laid out for you in like what mm -hmm. you're singing slash doing. So I think I could effectively act it because it's an easy acting song. That was fun. Yeah, that was a really fun. That was almost like kind of a therapy exercise, Kevin. I feel like that was good for our friendship. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> Cancel this week's appointment now. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. It has been a wild ride. It sure has. Excited to close this door and step on into whatever this next chapter of Sentiment Pod is. Give us a rating. Subscribe. Yeah. Guys, Tell your friends. Please rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It would be much, much appreciated. Yeah. I got a little ASMR there at the end. That's okay. I'm sure someone who's listening <laughs> will love that. <laughs> <laughs>
This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. I've heard it said that people come into our lives. Should we do at that? Let's release a full cover of Forgot. I'm going. I'm doing it. (laughs) 